We turn to Psalm 119, the first portion, Aleph. Uh, This is our Psalm of the Month series. Normally, as you know, we uh, consider this uh, during the morning uh, service, but as we had a special sermon on excommunication due to that matter that was before us, uh, I moved the Psalm of the Month preaching to the second service. Now, the reason that we monthly consider a psalm, and in this case a portion of a psalm, is because the psalms are the Christian manual of praise. And the apostle accordingly says in the word of God that I will sing with the understanding also, meaning we must know and understand what we sing. We are not to just sing words, we are to sing with meaning. And so we come to this psalm of the month. Psalm 119, the first portion, verses 1 through 8. Give your attention to God's word. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. I will keep thy statutes. O forsake me not utterly. Amen. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we come to such a glorious and majestic psalm, so grand and glorious that uh, it will take uh, more than a year to get through it. And so we pray, Father, as the word is preached now, that you would give us a taste of the excellencies of the word of God through the minister now. Fill him with the spirit, the very same spirit that has inspired the word of God. May that spirit, the Holy Spirit, may he minister to us now through the preaching of the word. And we pray, Father, that the minister would decrease so that Christ, the divine Logos, would increase that we may see his excellency in this text. May the people of God be blessed then to know their God better by this word. And so as we come to the preaching of the word, we pray, open thou our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, many of us say that we want to be blessed of the Lord. We want to know that his face shines upon us with divine favor. We want to know that love of complacency that we considered two communions ago, to know that God delights in us. We want to know, we say, that we walk close to our God. Yet, we say these things, but we often, as the people of God, ignore the very means to these ends. Perhaps most ignored of all is the law of God in our time. Uh, This rule of obedience to the Lord for the Christian wherein he says he will bless us if we walk in it. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. We considered on Wednesday night in the Beatitudes what that blessedness is. It's a happiness. It's a divine favor from God. That's what blessing is. And it comes here in Psalm 119 to those who from the heart desire to keep the law of God by the grace of God. 
His face, in other words, even as we remember the benediction from this morning, his face shines on us. He says that here, when we walk in the way of the law of the Lord. His love of complacency is set upon us when we uh, seek to obey him. Best of all, what we will find in the 119th Psalm is that we walk very close with Jesus Christ himself. We express our love for the Savior. After all, he has said in his word, if ye love me, keep my commandments. And so we find great and rich blessings for the Christian who will endeavor by the grace of God to walk with the Lord by way of the law of God. And this walk that we find here is a walk to a particular place, which we will consider later, but it is a walk on the way to heaven, the celestial city. And by walking close with the Lord by the law of God, we know that we are on the path that leads heavenward. And we find blessing and assurance in that too. But we also see here something that is missed. Our religion requires us to walk. It requires us not to assent to certain propositions in the word of God, but to actually walk by the word of God. And this is something that we often neglect. Our religion has practical use day by day. We walk according to the law of God. And of course, we know in the Bible that it is the word of God that is a lamp to our feet that illuminates that path heavenward. And uh, it enriches our communion with the Lord. And the 119th Psalm, this portion especially, richly draws out such themes for us. So that to orient our minds and order our affections. Our theme is the blessed blessed man's walk according to the law. The blessed man's walk according to the law. We'll divide our time into three heads. First is the blessed man's law, the blessed man's portrait, secondly, and third, uh, the blessed man's desire. So first, the blessed man's law. Now, this is our first sermon in Psalm 119. It's not the only sermon. Um, Otherwise, we would be here a very long time, as you are well aware. But uh, it is the first sermon, so I will spend more time this time in terms of giving you context for the whole of the psalm. Now, we're unsure of the psalm's author. Most believe it to be David. But in any case, it is rich, and it is clear to see that uh, it is inspired of God. This is, children, as you are probably aware, the longest psalm of them all. It is the longest chapter in your Bible as well. If the Psalter, as as many have said, is a little Bible, well, the 119th Psalm is a little Psalter. It has the themes of the whole psalm book present in it. It is also, as you are likely aware, and probably your translation even draws it out for you, as my copy of the authorized version does, it is an acrostic psalm. Uh, It is divided into 22 portions, each portion for one letter of the Hebrew alphabet in order. So it is an acrostic. Uh, 22 sections, and boys and girls, to show you how long the psalm is, it will take us, as we do one portion every month, it'll take us almost two years to get through, won't it? 22 portions, almost two years. And each of these sections that are here, um, it's interesting, you don't notice this in your English translation, but it is such a beautiful psalm in so many ways because not only is each portion begin with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet, each line in each portion begins with that same letter. It's very striking to look at it in the Hebrew. All eight verses here begin with Aleph, the first letter of the Hebrew Bible. In the next section, all eight verses begin with the letter Beth, 
Bet, which is the second letter. And so you find here uh, really a very beautiful and rich psalm that is well-constructed and well-ordered. Now, you ask the question, and each section has exactly eight verses, by the way. I don't think I, I mentioned that. So lots of structure here, lots of beauty, and as well um, an acrostic in every possible way. Now, you might ask, what are the reasons for this kind of structure? Well, I think it's very plain to see that it would help you in memorizing it, of course. If every section had the same uh, letter of the Hebrew alphabet in every line, um, so you can think of it this way. This is an important psalm to know, isn't it? Because it was meant to be memorized. And so that means the matter is very important. Now, all things in the word of God are important, but some are weightier. And so Psalm 119 is certainly intended to be one of the weightier sections of the word of God. Now, as it is an aid for memorization, children, think about this. You learn your ABCs, right, very early on. And you can imagine that Hebrew children were learning their ABCs by also memorizing the psalm. And knowing as they learned the Aleph Bet, which is what the Hebrew alphabet is, Aleph Bet, as they learned the Aleph Bet, they would memorize this psalm and make it very easy to commit to memory for them from a very young age. Now, another thing contextually is that every section here does not always follow a singular theme. So it can be very hard to draw thematic preaching out of uh, each section separately. Uh, one of the, uh, I believe it was Matthew Henry, I believe said this, that uh, each section in the psalm is less a golden chain and more like golden rings. You might think of the Proverbs who are often like that, where you have sayings in the Proverbs that are not necessarily connected to one another. Sometimes they are. Well, Psalm 119 is very much the same way. Now, um, as it is to be memorized, it was meant to be kept in the heart I was just thinking about this, children, too, as you think about Psalm 119 early in your life. You remember that Jesus Christ himself, according to the human nature, increased in wisdom as he grew, didn't he? This would have been one of the Psalms by which he would have increased in wisdom according to the human nature. And so think of your own Savior. Um, you follow in the blessed path of your Savior if you walk according to the Psalm. And as it does go from, not literally A to Z, uh, Aleph to uh, Tau, you do get in the sense here that there is a completeness to the matter, right, of this uh, great, great psalm. And Andrew Bonar had a wonderful thought concerning it. He said, there may be something more than fancy in the remark that Christ's name, the Alpha and Omega, equivalent to declaring him all that which every letter of the alphabet could express may have had a reference to this peculiarity of the psalm. Now you think about that as Christ as the divine word, right? It's almost like this is an A to Z, alpha to omega, uh, aleph to tau. Um, and that may be the case. It may very well be. And that may be what is intended in the revelation to think on these things. But it is very clear, if nothing else, that the blessed man of the psalm is Jesus Christ. He is the man who has walked according to the word of God and kept all the commandments. And those who seek to be conformed to the psalm's precepts will find themselves more like our Savior. In addition, there's something else quite remarkable about the psalm, and I'm giving you some facts according to it in this first heading mostly, as it is so large, is that other than two verses, verses 84 and 122, this psalm always addresses or refers to the Lord. It's quite stunning. Uh, every line except these two 
addresses or refers to the Lord. And what you find here is there's this running conversation between the soul of the psalmist and the Lord himself. A very amazing feature of a very long psalm. And it teaches us how to address the Lord with a holy reverence and awe. You see here, um, after the, um, you see that in the first two verses, right, the Lord is explicitly mentioned. Uh, walk in the law of the Lord, seek him with the whole heart. They walk in his ways, verse 3. And then it starts this running talk with the Lord. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. I will praise thee. I will keep thy statutes and so on. You can see that there is this running conversation uh, with the Lord, uh, a kind of prayer here in the psalm. Now as for the psalm's theme, It is the word of God, not just the law of God. It is the word of God. It has a particular emphasis on the law, but it is broader than that. For instance, the seventh portion of the psalm says in verses 49 to 50, Remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction. You see, it's a reminder here of the promises of God. He says the word of God has such rich promises, not just commandments, but also promises. And so it is the word of God as a whole that we find in Psalm 119. Once again, you see Christ in that as the divine word incarnate. And here is just something for your own understanding, beloved. The more you know the word of God, the more you know Christ. And this is the great tragedy in not esteeming the word. You don't know Christ as you are. And that ought to drive us to the word of God. Why is he called the word made flesh? We are to know the word of God and we're to delight in it. He said, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and they are they which testify of me. You learn the word, you learn of Christ. This has to be and must be our great joy in the word. We say we love Jesus. Do we love his word? We have a word-centered religion because we have a Christ-centered religion. So anytime, right, this is to be, this has to be the way we drive our soul. Anytime in any place we find the word of God magnified, we are there because Christ is there. And that's what we must believe. This is a fundamental doctrine of the faith. Know the word and know Christ. Many have a Christ of their own imagining because they don't know the word of God. And any place the word of God is, if we come by faith, Christ will minister to us. But as the law of God and the commandments feature prominently a word on that first, many of us have been around Christian circles where the word law is anathema to us. You know, I once led a Bible study and spoke of the blessedness of the law of God, and I am not saying this to denigrate anybody, but one of the brothers there, it was almost like he started quivering and trembling And he wanted to deny that. And that is the kind of psychological damage that has been done when many consider the law of God. Why is that? Well, I think sometimes there is a background of legalism that is behind this. Men and women told that their right standing with God is based on them keeping the law of God for justification, the law being used as a covenant of works. You see that very much in Roman Catholic circles, but even in some uh, very moralistic churches who believe that you can have sinless perfection. 
Um, you also find in other churches that they have added to God's law and have created rules that God has never given. And so they think of following the law and they're uh, mixed up and they think about man-made laws, whether it be the Pope making it or in maybe some fundamentalistic churches where they create extra biblical rules that you must, must follow. And so they think of law-keeping in a negative way. But they are man-made laws that they are rebelling against and not God's laws. But we must be clear that fallen man, if we know nothing else, cannot be justified by the law of God. And we must all begin there. We are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Such faith is used by the Lord to not only forgive us of all our sin, all of it, praise God, past, present, and future, but gives us the very righteousness of Jesus Christ who has followed the law of God to the uttermost. And we have to us imputed the perfect righteousness of Christ. And so that is the end of the law for righteousness for us. And that's where our praise comes and bubbles forth in the psalm first and foremost, because Jesus Christ is here and we bless the one who is so blessed that he kept his way pure. He was undefiled in the way. He walked in the law of God. He kept the testimonies of God. He sought God with his whole heart and did no iniquity and so on. That's how you praise the Lord for Christ in this song. And we are so blessed. We find our own righteousness is found in Christ. As he said in Matthew 5.17, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but what? To fulfill and with his fulfillment of the divine law, we who believe revel in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he hath made him, that is Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin. That what? We might be made the righteousness of God in him. And that is the rule of our justification. And that is why we are Christians. We believe such things. Christ is our righteousness and we are thankful. And we further revel with the apostle in Romans 10.4 that Christ is the end of the law for what? Righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now listen to that carefully. Does it say Christ is the end of the law, period? No, it says for righteousness. And the end of the law for righteousness to whom? To everyone that believeth. Those in Christ are under no obligation to the law for obtaining righteousness, because we cannot. And yet those in, not in Christ are actually under obligation to the law for righteousness, which is a dreadful thing because no man can actually do that. No man but Christ. We fail miserably at keeping the law to obtain righteousness, which is why every unbeliever here must flee to Christ for righteousness so that the law doesn't hang over your head. But those of us who are in Christ, we say that the very law, right, that said, that demanded that we go to hell is now, because of Christ, the very law that sends us to heaven, because Christ kept that law. And so the very demands of the law, the law itself says, send that Christian, that believer to heaven, because all the righteous demands of the law were fulfilled by Christ in their place. And so we even glory in the law in that way, that the law cannot condemn us who are in Christ, and we bless the Lord for the law then, because Christ is not just lawgiver, but he is law keeper, and he kept it for us. So what use is this psalm to you, Christian, then? It is the rule of your obedience to God. 
Many of us neglect Paul's instruction in Romans 3.31. Do we then make void the law through faith? Answer, God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. So the law isn't put away for us. We find the rule of our obedience to God and the law of God as believers. For unbelievers, the demands of the law are meant as so many of you have been convicted and sent to Christ. The demands of the law that screams to you, you are a sinner. You have broken God's laws and God condemns you to hell. Are the very things that have sent you to heaven as you fled to Christ. And so that first use of the law sends us to Christ. But once regenerated by the Holy Spirit and given a new heart of faith and freed from the law as a rule of justification, you now use the law as a rule on how to walk with God. Even the psalm book itself teaches you that pattern. You remember Psalms 113 to 118, don't you? The great Hallel Psalms, which proclaimed freedom uh, from Egypt. God has come to save his people. And we saw that that was pointing us to the greater exodus. Christ saving us on the cross. So salvation comes, and then law-keeping comes in Psalm 119 after we are saved, which is the same pattern in Exodus 20. He first gives you the preface to the Ten Commandments, I have saved thee out of the, the house of bondage. And then he gives you the law, now live as my people in this way. Live like this, walk with me, my people. And as believers, we will fail to keep the law at every point, undoubtedly. And we will sorrow over our sin. But we remember the hope that is here even in this psalm. Remembering it is God that justifies us. You know, it's interesting if you turn to the very last verse of the psalm. Now, what a thing it is if you thought that this psalm was to, uh, to earn righteousness. Look at verse 176. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant, for I do not forget thy commandments. Even the very end of the psalm proclaims to you, child of God, that you will at times go astray. And so we pray, God, seek me. Return me to the good way. Forgive my sins. This is not a psalm that proclaims righteousness will come to the the believer through law-keeping. But it reminds us that the good shepherd, Christ himself, seeks us when we go astray and restores us when we come to him in repentance and faith. And so we are not to despise the law of God, And Isaiah's prophecy instead says that Messiah, when he comes, would do this in Isaiah 42, 21. The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. And that's what you find in this psalm. The Lord Jesus Christ magnifying his law and making it honorable. Christ in this psalm will make us long for and pant for the law of God. He will magnify it to us. And you remember when the Lord Jesus came, he recalibrated our hearts to the law, didn't he? How did he summarize the entire law of God? One word, children. What was it? Love. Love to God and love to neighbor. Has Christ Jesus not magnified the law and made it honorable? Indeed, he has. Indeed, he has. First, love to God and second, love to neighbor. As we considered in the new members class, commandments 1 through 4 speak of our love for God. Commandments 5 to 10 speak of our love for neighbor. And the world knows nothing, absolutely nothing of this species of love. Only the Christian does. I suppose we'll have more points to consider
in future installments of Psalm 119, but for the sake of time, I will leave that there for context. I know I've given a lot there. So let us dive into our text proper, our second heading, The Blessed Man's Portrait. Uh, In this head, we will consider the psalm's first three verses. Now, it's rather interesting on Wednesday nights, we are in the Beatitudes. They open the Sermon on the Mount, in which the divine lawgiver, Jesus Christ, comes down from heaven to preach the rule of life for citizens of the kingdom. And he begins with what? Beatitudes. Blessings. Blessings. Well, his 119th Psalm does the same thing. He has two pronouncements of divine blessing, two benedictions which open this heavenly psalm. He proclaims that happiness is found in keeping the precepts of God. Verse 1, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. You know, walking in the way of the Lord, exercising the law of God, child of God, is meant to be our happiness. You're called, beloved, to walk according to the rule of this Bible. That's how we walk. We put legs to the Bible, so to speak, children. Um, In every circumstance, in every situation, then, as you walk through this world, in every interaction, you must ask, what saith the Lord? What does God have to say on the matter? And God has spoken in every case. If you need wisdom, you find it here in the Word of God, don't you? You find uh, precepts to follow, and He'll give you precepts to follow, which from a worldly perspective may even seem to be to your own hurt. But you are to follow them anyhow. Right, children? Doesn't the Lord say, tell the truth even when the lie seems expedient? Doesn't He say, according to the law and rule of God, love those who revile you, forgive richly, to worship Him, even when your flesh doesn't feel like it, to keep your vows, to keep your oaths before God, as the man this morning did not, as we had him, as he was excommunicated. Now, these are things that the flesh will despise, and the world will try to fool you into saying, well, you know, it's better not to follow the law of God in this case. What we must remember is whenever we feel like the law of God conflicts with our own Flesh's sense of happiness is what? Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. That is meant to be emblazoned in your heart. That the blessing comes to those who walk in the way of the law of the Lord. You know, sin is very deceitful, isn't it? You know that from Hebrews 3.13. God is very clear on that. And Satan says one of his devices, or God says one of Satan's devices Uh, that we are not to be unaware of, as the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, is that Satan seeks to undermine the word of God constantly. The very first temptation, hath God said, seeking to turn us from the word of God and the law of God. And the world, of course, will mock the word of God, the law of God. And these three foes of your soul will make you think that walking in the law of God will not bless you. What are you to remember? Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. Will you believe Satan when he tempts you as he tempted Eve? When he says God's law is so terrible, it's so cruel. Or will you believe what God says here? That the blessing are to those who walk in the law of the Lord. Do you believe these things? I suppose that's where we have to begin, don't we? Do you actually believe these things? 
that God has said. You know, one of the things that the law preaches is found in our text, that we are pilgrims and strangers in this world. The text says, blessed are the undefiled in the way. That shows you what? What does that mean? We are on the way someplace. Where are we going? Do you know where you're going, child of God? We are on the way. We're not meant to stay on the earth, are we? Is that the way? A carnal place? No. We go to where? The celestial city. We are pilgrims and strangers on the way to heaven. Hebrews 11 teaches you that. Peter in 1 Peter 2.11 says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. This world is not our home. We are pilgrims. We are a people with a heavenly nature. It would be what a wonderful thing it would be if the church would regain that identity. We are a heavenly people in a sense, made for a better world than this present evil age. Which is not to say we retreat from the world. No, we labor for its good. We testify against its evil. We preach the gospel. We seek the good of our nation. We raise our families in it, though not for it. But what this means is that the ways of this world are not our ways. We pray, right, according to keeping the law of God, we pray, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Because we are meant for heaven. And the keeping of the law of God by God's grace in the heart of a Christian is an answer to that prayer. And we have to see it that way, that uh, to walk in the way of the law of the Lord is an answer to thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. It will also show you, if you knew these things, that your walk in this world is to be different than those who are in the kingdom of sin and Satan. Children, this is key for you. You are walking, you ought to be walking on a very different path than your unbelieving neighbors and friends. A very different path. If you're walking on the same way as they are, doing the same things, having the same values, then it is likely you are not on the way to heaven. But where they are headed and where do unbelievers head? I think you know the answer to that. After all, the scripture says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? So where are you walking? Who are you walking with? You have to understand you are to walk according to the law of the Lord. Ever think of what these things mean from an ultimate perspective, children? You go to the very same place as those you walk with. Be mindful of that. But the Christian is bound for the promised land. And we praise God for that. And the law then shows us that while we live here, we ought to walk uh, in the way of the law until we get there. And God says he adds his blessing to those who will. But this must be done, he says, not out of a bare legal duty, but from the heart. We have heard from the proverb in times past, my son, give me thine heart. Is it any different here, child of God? Verse 2 says, Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. Has God ever wanted a heartless religion, Christian? No. You cannot point to the Old Testament, as so many people do, and say, well, that was a heartless religion. Uh, They were just to keep bare legal duties. Absolutely not. God has never asked for a heartless religion. Here it is in your Old Testament. He wants the heart. He wants your heart in the testimonies. 
Notice it says, seek him with the whole heart. What you have to understand is what I said in the introduction. When you seek out the precepts of God in the scriptures with your heart, you are seeking God. You are seeking him when we seek to follow his laws. Did he not say this? And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? He says, if you ignore his laws, you are ignoring him. You seek him. You, you come to serve God when you follow his laws. You see, you see Christ. You know, if you have a heart for Jesus, you will seek to discover his ways, his laws, and walk in them. First John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not what? Grievous. So we are to open the word of God to discover our duty to the Lord. And when we discover our duty to the Lord, we know him better. We know what pleases him. You know, how many terrible marriages have there been where the spouse can't even tell you what their spouse wants or likes? How can you know what the Lord is pleased by? You know the law of God. He says, do this and you please me. If you would look at the law in that way, you would understand why the Lord Jesus frames it as love. And when you walk according to his divine rule, you are walking with Christ himself. You know, to walk away from the law of God, just put it in these terms, Christian, is to walk away from Christ. What is this? This path. It's the path that Christ himself trod. And it is the path on which he is leading us. And told them to walk away from the path of the law of the Lord is to walk away. If you would look at it in graphic terms like this, imagine it. You are walking away. You are veering away from your beloved. And so we walk after the Lord. Our walk is meant to be with the Lord. And the law shows us how we do that. You know, David was called a man after God's own heart. And you find here that his heart was ever inclined towards the Lord. And you see that his heart, even though he was a sinner and broke the law at times and God chastened him for it, he always panted for, and we'll get to sections of the psalm, that the man pants for the Lord and he says, I want to follow the law of God because that is a way to know my God and to seek after God. You know, many call the fourth commandment legalism, but how does God himself frame it? Isaiah 58 says that those who delight in the Sabbath delight in the Lord. They're not, the commandments are not divorced from God, child of God. If you seek Christ, if you long for Christ, it will manifest in a desire for his ways. In verse 3, you find two parts to the commandments. They also do no iniquity, they walk in his ways. Now, this will be helpful for you. This is the negative and positive form of the law as we thought about it in the new members class. Negatively, uh, we do not commit iniquity. And positively, we are to walk in God's ways. Now, you've seen this expressed in Ephesians 4, uh, 22 and 23, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. That's the nature of the true birth, and that's the nature of the new birth uh, that's the nature of the new birth here in Psalm 119, verse 3. Uh, the new birth has two parts. Do no iniquity and walk in his ways. See, the new man, the new creation after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And we are to 
put away sin, and we are to then walk in righteousness. Perhaps the best illustration of the principle is Ephesians 4.28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. So you see this, you do no iniquity, right? They also do no iniquity in verse 3, meaning you don't steal anymore. But then walking in God's ways, rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. That's how you walk in the law of the Lord. And this is where you find your religion is eminently practical. It is heavenly and practical, isn't it? It brings heaven to earth. I've touched on this in recent sermons, but our walk is incomplete unless we both put away sin and do righteously. The law of God teaches both. And a good aid for you is our larger catechism. I would have you review the section which begins in question 99 and goes to question 153 on the law of God. A wonderful exposition on how you may not only put away sin, but you may also do righteously for each of the Ten Commandments. And the thing is, again, we don't want to forget that those who do such things are blessed of the Lord. And the blessing here is found, as the Word of God tells us, in diligence. You find that throughout this psalm, you are looked you are told to be diligent, such as in verse 4. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. You know, children of God, you need and I need diligence in religion. For many of us, religion is nothing more than what we do maybe on the Lord's Day, and you're doing more than many. You're here for two services, many of you. But you need diligence in religion. You need to devote time to the Lord, and you need to develop spiritual exercises and graces One thing that you must do in order to diligently follow the will of God is to know the will of God. You have to be diligent to open the Bible. You are to know the law of God. The larger catechism can help you in that. But what Christ is promising you is divine happiness and divine blessedness and divine favor if you will do so. Is that not worth something to us? That we, if we would know the law of God and would follow it by faith, he says, I will shine my face upon thee such that even in great difficulty and trials, you follow the hard path, what seems like a hard path, the law of God. By His grace, Christ leading you down that path, you will find such great blessing. Be diligent in the things of God, knowing you walk close to God in it. And, um, you know, you think about this, the many blessings that come in following the law of God, you think of that most blessed man, Jesus Christ himself, and you say to yourself, by following the law of God, am I not becoming more like the Savior that I love? Romans 8, 29 says that for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be firstborn of many brethren. Have you ever thought on what a blessing it would be to be more like Christ? After all, Christ fulfilled the law. For us. Now, in other portions of the psalm, we will even speak of the blessedness of um, nations that follow the law of God. Because another use of the law of God is meant to be the rule of law civilly. Blessed is that nation whose God is the Lord, Psalm 33. And I think, as we think on the blessedness of the law of God, just generally speaking, even coming to a people, right? If you want to see that there is happiness, I think you can look at the nation that we're in. If you want to see proof 
that blessedness and happiness comes from following the law of God, look at the contrary. See what happens when a nation doesn't follow the law of God, when a people do not follow the law of God. Have you seen what is happening in our nation? That as it moves away from God's ways, you are finding more and more misery. There is nothing but misery, not blessedness, in violating the law of God. Look at this. Fifth commandment. Um, Parents have no authority. And their home is completely disrupted. Sixth commandment. Children are being slaughtered in utero. Seventh commandment. Sexual immorality. Unfettered divorces. We cannot even tell you what a man or a woman is. Eighth commandment. Usury and uncontrollable debt. Ninth commandment. Our leaders cannot even be trusted to tell us the truth. Fake news is the way of the media. Tenth commandment, we have debt with out-of-control covetousness. Um, Our entire society is built upon it. And that's just the second table of the law. How about the first table of the law? Is the society that we live in a reflection of the fact that the blessing comes from following the law of God and not breaking it? Surely it is. Surely it is. You know, even individual Christians who have walked away from his precepts in rebellion, you know, and you have seen the misery that has come upon them for breaking God's ways. And sometimes God uh, or our hearts have hardened itself so much to refuse to see that keeping the law of God is where blessedness is. And we, when we break it willfully especially, We often are so slow, so slow to admit that I am not blessed in my rebellion. But the blessing comes from following the law of God. This morning, even in the next communication, it grieved us to see the end of breaking the law of God so flagrantly. But happiness is promised here to those who follow God's ways. It may not be happiness as the world understands it, but it'll be happiness that shows you a close walk with the Lord. This psalm after this moves to desire, which is our final heading, the blessed man's desire. This is a reflection. uh, There is rather a reflection in the fourth verse of what God has commanded us to do. Thou hast commanded um, us to keep thy precepts diligently. I've already dealt with that, so I won't deal with it much, but we are to be diligent in discovering the word of God, the laws in it, but also diligent, excuse me, if you think about it, in prayer to ask for the grace of God to keep it. You know, Christians used to be considered a diligent people, especially in their religion, eager to discover what God has to say, eager to do what God has said to do. I don't know, you can evaluate your own home. How diligent are you for the things of God? Is there diligence there? Uh, Does the word of God have a primacy in the home? And are you opening the word regularly? Are you discovering what is in the word of God? His will for you in the word. Uh, When your family uh, has some sort of question as to what to do, do you immediately go onto YouTube and start uh, YouTubing things? Or do you open the word of God and see the way that we ought to go? How diligent are you? The psalmist, however says that he will be diligent because he knows God has commanded us. This is a commandment, he says. God has commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. 
So he says, right? This is almost an admission to the Lord, if you think of it as a prayer. He admits to the Lord, Okay, God, thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently, to be diligent in um, religion. And so then you find that there are prayers here that the Lord would direct him in that way. Verse 5, Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. See, there's longing here. In the Hebrew text, you see that longing. This is longing and this is desire. This is where the heart is engaged. We have heart religion. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. This must be in our heart, children of God. Not, I must, children, boys and girls, especially for you. Oh, I guess God says I must do this. I guess I must do that. But you are to long for it. You had asked for the grace. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Here, here is a, a man who says, I don't always long for the statutes. Oh, that my ways were directed. Would you guide me, Lord? Would you show me the way to keep the statutes? I crave it. I desire it. I want it. That's to be your crave. You know, Augustine then prayed in accord with the sentiment in the 119th Psalm. Oh, Lord, command what you will and give what you command. This is the heart here of the psalmist. Give me the blessedness of keeping thy commandments. Give me the grace to keep thy commandments as well. Only the Lord can do it. So the psalmist prays for grace to crave and grace to keep. So this is meant to be the heart and the craving. Then in verse 6. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. You know, the concept of shame is being utterly erased from our society. But Adam and Eve, they were ashamed when they ate the forbidden fruit, weren't they? They tried to cover themselves, hiding as it were from God. Now that was sinful too. They ought to have gone to God in repentance. But to break the law of God to sin should be shameful to us. We should have a sense of shame about us. We know, as we remember from 2 Corinthians 7 on Wednesday night, that that sense of shame, that sense of mourning is meant to send us to the Lord. It's meant to have us go to him in repentance, knowing that the repentant man or woman will be forgiven of the Lord and our shame is taken away in Christ. But the, the child of God doesn't want to feel ashamed in breaking the law of God. We are thankful that the Lord has given us the grace of repentance, but it is better, the child of God says, that I do not have to repent. I'm glad to repent when I have to repent, but the child of God must never see, oh, God will forgive me for everything so I can just sin with impunity. I ought to be ashamed to say that. Instead, I ought to say I want to follow the law of God because to break it would be shameful to me. Now, let us be clear, and so many Christians talk this way. We can say, I love the idea of the law of God. Look how beautiful it is. Look how wondrous it is. And all men must follow it. Many of us do that in this congregation. But the idea is not to abstractly love the law of God, but to follow it. To love it so much that you will follow it, to respect it, to honor it, to keep it. Otherwise, we ought to be ashamed. And he says here, I will have respect unto all thy commandments. Now we'll talk another time about the tripartite division of the law. What is especially in view here is the moral law of God. 
Uh, we know in Christ the ceremonies have, have been taken away. The civil law can be used, it's general equity, to order society. But what is particularly here in the, um, in the psalmist's heart is the moral law of God summarized in the Ten Commandments. And he says, I will have respect unto all the commandments. He doesn't cherry pick. He doesn't say, I will take this commandment, or as some popular preachers say, there are nine commandments and not ten. No, he says all the commandments. I will have respect unto all, not just the second table of the law, but also the first table of the law. Wherever there is a commandment, I am there and I want it. All the commandments. You must not be partial and you must discover them all. Verse 7 says, I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. Now it's interesting here, the commandments of God are tied to worship. The very thing that many Christians don't believe is true. But God's commandments regulate worship. That is absolutely the case. And so in the worship of God, we must know the statutes of God. Meaning God has told me how to worship him. And it would be my delight to understand how and give what God wants in his worship. He says, not only must our heart be in it, but we must know his statutes for worship. As you know, that is codified under the principle called the regulative principle. And you can review that in our gospel worship sermon series for that teaching. But also, and this you might say, and maybe you're a cheerleader for this kind of thing in the Reformed churches, but uh, you need to connect this as well, Reformed Christian. There is a connected idea here that can you truly praise God if you are not walking according to holiness? Right? Praise can be hypocritical if you do not endeavor to walk with the Lord yourself. What a thing it is to live like a fiend, to live in unrepentant sin, and then come here and open your mouth with the praises of God. Do you understand what you're doing? I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. You can see a connection here to the worship of God with your own personal holiness. They are connected. What a thing it is to say to God, I will worship you in holiness, in the beauty of holiness, and then go walk as a reprobate. A terrible thing. You don't worship God truly. This portion of Psalm 119 concludes with verse 8. I will keep thy statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. This is a resolve. This is a vow. It is a vow every Christian ought to make. I will keep thy statutes. I purpose to do it. And you say, but pastor, I know I will fail at it. Well, the psalmist knew that as well, insofar as this was David and not Christ. He resolves to keep the statutes of God anyway. And what a pattern that is for you, child of God, to resolve from the heart to walk with the Lord according to the law of God. And what does the godly man see is necessary for that? He says, do not forsake me utterly. In other words, I know I cannot keep this perfectly. This is my vow. This is my resolve. But he says, do not forsake me utterly. I need the grace of the Lord to do it. If you would forsake me, Lord, it would all be undone. Help me keep the vow. And when I fall, give me grace to cover my sin. This is a godly man's prayer and what a prayer it is. Have you ever made holy resolutions to the Lord like this? What are you afraid of in resolving to the Lord? I have 
had to counsel more than one person now that sometimes, and this has been a great help in my life, is sometimes when there is a kind of besetting sin or I need grace from the Lord is sometimes to even make an official vow to God and say, God, help me keep my vow to not do this or to walk in a certain way. And the Lord has been so gracious to answer such vows. That's why they are given. Here is one such vow. I will keep thy statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. And I think we all, because we all need a heavy dose of experiential religion, need to ask, what keeps me from saying, even if it's not an official vow, what keeps you from saying this, child of God? Is there a part of your flesh that is ready to say, no, I will not make a resolution to keep thy statutes? That's a portion of your heart that is being kept from the Lord. It is the whole heart that ought to be given to the Lord in obedience not part of it. And here is the man that is blessed, who is ready to say, I will give up all if I need be to keep thy statutes. Friends can forsake me. The world can rage against me. The Satan will tear at me. Doesn't matter. I will keep thy statutes. But this one thing do, Lord, don't forsake me utterly. You know, men and women who live this way are the men and women who are blessed. And one of the greatest blessings as I was thinking about this is an assurance of salvation. You are so blessed because the ungodly man would never ever resolve to walk in this kind of integrity. But an assurance of salvation comes to you, not because you are a perfect law keeper and that gives you assurance. And if you think that, then you've become self-righteous. That is not the point. Assurance comes because having a desire to walk with the Lord, even when it is hard on our flesh, assures us that we are in an estate of grace. When we look back at our life, what you want to see and say is, I could have walked away from the Lord at each of these junctions. Look back on your life like that. At this point, walking with the Lord in holiness was difficult, but by God's grace, he arrested my heart and I walked with him anyway. And you can look back and say, yes, I kept his precepts, though imperfectly, and yes, by his grace only. But what does that do on the deathbed? It helps assure you that you are Christ's. These blessings, these happinesses are ours because he shines upon us and he has promised Blessed are they that keep his testimonies. Well, we've only begun to unpack the 119th Psalm, more to come in the months ahead, and I know I had to spend more time on the introduction rather than the actual exposition, but we will remedy that as we continue forward. But what I would want to say is just see the imprint, imprint of Christ throughout it, this blessed man who is your own Savior, and also find the blessedness of being like him by following after him in his law, There is a great, great favor from God here to you. If you do, he promises that. You know, one morning, just because of the morning, sad to say, our session has had to counsel many saints to walk in the way of the Lord when they had thought that walking in the way of worldly wisdom instead of the law of the Lord was the way to go for many different reasons. Sometimes it was fear. Sometimes it was 
too much to imagine what following the uh, Lord's law might have an impact in their life as they saw it. And what happens is, almost always, they either start walking and drifting more and more away from the Lord, or they end up in the counseling room as some great and terrible thing has come upon them. And you hate to say to them, not, I told you so, but God told you so. And you should have listened to the word of God. Whereas I have watched on the other side, and I've seen more of this, praise God. Many of you do what seems sacrificial and stupid to men in following the law of God. Things your flesh has hated, things that have come at a great expense even to your own estate, but are things according to the law of God and God's ways. And you have found, and you know this well, child of God, great blessedness in denying yourself. And have received the greater, the truer happiness, even if it has come with great trials. Your blessedness, the word of God teaches, the love of God, the word of God teaches, is found in walking closely with God by his law through all of life. If you know these things, desire these things and walk accordingly. Knowing and never forgetting that you need the grace of the Lord to walk according to the law of God. It'll never come by your own strength. And so seek the Lord, be in prayer. What a thing it would be that we would ever neglect. This is for you to consider. Do you neglect praying for obedience? Do you ever pray, Lord, make me obedient. Make me like a a little lamb who desires to follow the good shepherd with its tail wagging, so to speak, with joy in its heart. It would be a wonderful prayer for you, especially children, to be very near to, to the Lord. Um, what greater blessedness could be ours than following the Lord? We read, and I thought, how wonderful providence, so I'll bring it in the text, into the sermon. Revelation 14, you heard it this morning. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. Those are blessed who follow the Lamb. May that be said of you and me, and may you walk with Jesus very closely according to the law of God until you are found in heaven. Until that day, may he keep us. Amen. May God help us keep his word. Uh, Let us arise for prayer, if able. O Lord, our God, help us to delight in the law of the Lord. Help us to treasure it and walk according to it, not according to a rule of justification, but instead as a rule of obedience that we would better know our God and we would find the blessing that God has promised to those who walk according to the law, Lord's law. Uh, pray for all here in the congregation that we would be known as a people of the book, that we would be diligent to discover what is found in the law of the Lord and that we would delight in keeping it. Incline our whole heart to following the Lord not just for the law's sake, but for the Lord of the law who has given us this law, that we would find our blessedness by being close to him. And when we fail, Lord, as we undoubtedly will, may you give us the grace to repent of our sin and follow hard after our God. Uh, We pray that you would do this now, even converting those who had never known this about the law of God through the preaching of the word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.